Ephesians chapter 3, and we're just going to be finishing our series on, on love, the four dimensions of God's love, and it's unique that the, this has been the subject that God has been having us talk about in our church with all the political things that have been going on, especially with the decision by the Supreme Court to recognize and mandate same-sex marriage uh, in the United States, mandating that uh, this is the law of the land. And I am going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, But first of all, let's just start with the Bible and not politics, okay? Ephesians chapter 3, and let's read this verse here together uh, in verse in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through what? Faith. Through works? No. Through some kind of a religious program? No. Through some kind of emotional experience? I was thinking about, as Ron was telling about those experiences, that uh, why is that um, Why is that a projection and a stronghold in certain churches? Because whenever you have a church that that drifts away from the foundation of the Word of God and the Bible answering and the Bible uh, explaining the, the foundation of our faith, then you're always going to make a place for the devil in Ephesians 4.27. To make a place for the devil means that you're just, kind of, you're just kind of marking this area off. It's like having a little fence in your backyard for your dog or something. That is, you're, you're marking off an area for that animal. And whenever we depart from the Word of God in, our, in the, what the Word of God explains as worship and that God is a God of order and decency, then we are opening ourselves up for spirits that demons, seducing spirits, Paul says to Timothy, that in the latter days there, that people will give heed to seducing spirits. And this is very seductive, these kinds of uh, demonic um, Entities that want to come into the church and get the church all wrapped up with something that it has nothing to do with the eternal purpose of the church in Ephesians 3.11 and the mission of the church, which is to preach the gospel and to build the body of Christ. That's what we are doing here in our church. We are building the body. Uh, if you come to our church, this is what I tell people, if you come to your church, our church, we're going to build you up. And we're going to build you up in your calling. We're not going to tell you what to do. We're going to tell you who you are in Christ. If we tell people who they are in Christ, they're going to have so much more definition about what to do in their life, aren't they? If, and, and I think that that's really the mission of the church, not to lay down brand new rules, because that's already been laid out in the Bible. We're here just to tell people about who they are in Christ. You're a new creation. You're not your sin. You're not your yesterday. You're not your, compet- your continual failures and this is how we break this is how we break um, habitual failure is that, is that number one we just get disconnected from it emotionally we are like I am not my sin number one and number two we don't live in condemnation because that is the only way that we're going to get set free from things in our life grace grace tells us that we are a new creation in uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 32 Acts chapter 20 verse 32 that we are a new creation in the word of grace. And so, and so the love of God here, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. You know, the presence of God in my life today is not because I'm a great person. God doesn't save good people. 
And I think our conscience is always telling us something different. I'm a bad parent, you know, a bad person. I did this wrong. I, you know, I'm, I'm a bad businessman. I, this is not right. I'm a bad, you know, try being a pastor <laughs> and dealing with the enemy all the time. You know, pray for your pastor, by the way. You know, pray for people that are leading because every time, so every time you and I lead in the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God, the devil's going to be right in your face like millimeters from your nose just accusing you and accusing you and accusing you. And, and, and as Duran said, that whenever a church or whenever an individual stands up and begins to move forward in their life, no matter how many years it's been, every day, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, uh, Revelation 12, verse 10, there's the accuser of the brethren. He's going to accuse you. And we've got to cast that accusation down. And we've got to say, you know what? Facts are not always truth. And that's interesting to remember. Um, if something is factual in your life, it may be a part of your history. It's not truth. It doesn't necessarily mean it's truth. Fact is not truth. For example, someone may say, well, this and this happened. Well, that's factual. But is that, is that really who that person is? And we say no. A person is not, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 20, he's not a sin. And we have a brand new identity in Christ. And that's the first way to break out of uh, cyclic trouble in our life when we are in cycles of trouble. We've got to start getting around people that are going to build us up and that are going to encourage us. We need to get around uh, the body and get around the Bible and get around what is the body doing? What is the church doing? And what is the body of Christ? So Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, not by our own performance. So that's not what I want to talk about this morning, but here that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints, which is the width the length and the depth and the height. And I want to talk today a little bit about love, the love of God, love defined in the Bible in relationships. And what is the purpose that Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith? Why do we want to be rooted and grounded? Because it's the love of Christ that passes knowledge. You know, the love of Christ passes knowledge. That's very beautiful. I mean, there are things that we know about people and about situations. You know, there are things we know. I mean, it's just knowledge. We have information. We have information about people, about our neighbors, about people in the church, about you, yourself. But the love of Christ passes beyond that. Isn't that awesome? And when Jesus went and met with the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, his love passed knowledge about her. He knew what was going on in her life, but there was something bigger in his relationship with that woman that was lost. In our relationship with each other and with people, uh, there's something that has to be in our relationships that passes what we know about them. For example, what I may know about a brother who has just failed miserably in his life and is just flat on his face. What, you know, what do I know about that person? Well, I know that God is for that person, that Jesus saved him. And that in the latter day they will stand in the presence of God, holy and righteous and, and, and saved for eternity. What we know about people, there has to be something that is higher that we know. Yes, I know that that person is, there's a problematic situation in that person's life. But there's something that passes all of that, do you know? And that's the love of Christ. The love of Christ passes knowledge. You know what else? There's something else that passes, and that is, the peace of the Lord passes understanding, right? 
the peace of the Lord passes understanding. We have peace in our life, and we don't understand why. I should be very nervous right now. Something happened the other day, and I, and something that, you know, sometimes some things can hit us so hard that we just lose our peace. And that happened to me the other day, and it's something that could easily make me lose my peace. But you know something? I began to speak to myself, and you know, said, don't lose your peace. God is with you. Don't get insecure. Stand in grace. Let love pass the, the knowledge of the situation. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, when there is circumstances and we are tempted to lose our joy and our peace, begin to speak to yourself quietly. Get alone. It may take some time. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that first is the natural and then the spiritual, right? And that's really what happens in our life. You and I are always going to many times react naturally. Don't condemn yourself if you react naturally to something. You see something and you react to it or you hear something or you get a text or you get something that comes into your life and there's that. You're going to have that motion is going to just, you know, like rise up in your soul. But it's like, you know, that is okay. That's the flesh, whatever. Okay, that's not me. Let's just, you know, let's just get focused right now on the mind of God. And it may take some time, but don't, you know, uh, Martin Luther said this. He said that temptation is like birds that fly around your head. You know, there's going to be birds that fly over our heads. And actually, sometimes they may come very close. You ever have a bird almost wipe you out and, you, you know, just come down so close to your head you can feel it go across your... I've had that happen, especially in Europe where they have lots of pigeons around and they're dirty and they got like these little mites in them and you just don't want them in your hair and that's going to happen you know they're going to fly on and then they're going to fly you know they're going to fly over and they're going to and then they're going to fly on and that's like temptation and that's like things that come at us but don't worry about that stuff it's the birds that land in your hair and begin to make a nest there that's the one you got to worry about and that's what we got to deal with we can't let things get us um we got to let the love of God pass knowledge, and I've got to. I got to get to what I want to talk about here. That you may know that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Fullness of God delivers us from uh, deficit motivation. It delivers us from guiltiness. It delivers us from having to do something because we owe somebody something. You ever owe somebody money and you can't pay them back, and every time you see them, whether in church or at work or whatever, you're just kind of like. You find yourself in some kind of deficit mode, like you're doing things because you owe that person. And that's just not, that's not the fullness of God. When we're filled with the fullness of love and filled with the fullness of joy, and we're filled with a vision for our life. And, you know, we have visions in our church and in our, in our personal lives that are so impossible. But you know what? I, I have some good news. And tonight at, at 7 o'clock we, for our team, our staff meeting, I want to just talk about some great things that are on the horizon. And, um, and it's going to be very encouraging. And when we live that way, we live in a fullness. And we're, we're, we're walking around full and, and we don't, we're not, a, you know, somebody may say something that may have bothered us before, but we're like, you know what? I'm so filled with God right now. I'm so filled with what that text, that beautiful text message I got from somebody, that Bible verse, or I'm so filled from that message that I heard at convention. I'm so filled with the message I heard in church or that, what that one believer said to me. Uh, I'm so filled that that doesn't even bother me. And so when we're filled with the fullness of God, there is love there. Now, what the world is trying to do is they're trying to redefine love. 
and they were trying to redefine that 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 definition of love. And you know, in the Bible, in the Greek language, and you know, the Bible was written in Greek because the Greek language was one of probably the most amazing languages as far as its ability to describe. You know, the Greek language um, has four words for love. Uh, we have one word for love. Um, the Greek language in its grammar is so specific that there's no question about what it's saying. And if and, and I don't know, most of us probably here don't speak Greek, but there's a lot of books out there that can help you walk you through some things in layman's terms. But when you look at the Greek language, it's, there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, um, there's no question about what it's saying. And so four Greek words here that describe love. And I'm going to start with, it's kind of like a, from the best, to, from the highest to the lowest. And the first one is, is agape, which we know that word, which is really the love of God, which is unconditional. It's unchanging. You know, when you turn the light on in the house, you walk in. No matter what you do in that house, however bad or how about however good, that light is still on, isn't it? You know, that light's on, and it's not going to turn off if, for example, the, the light's not going to get offended if you decide to watch TV or if you decide to cook something in your kitchen. The light's going to be on. It's on. It's constant. It's unchanging, and that's just a very poor example of the love of God. Love of God is unchanging. Why is it unchanging? Because Jesus came, paid for sin in the flesh. So that there's now no reason why the love of God could ever be stopped. There's no reason today that the love of God would stop towards you. No reason. No reason whatsoever. It's constant. It's just a, the question is, is, do I want to receive it? Do I want to let Christ dwell in my heart by faith today? And so the first Greek word is agape, which means unconditional love. Jesus came and died unconditionally. And then at the cross as he was dying, his love was unconditional and 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 constant, and as his all of his disciples fled, his the work his three year work is now there's nothing left. He looks down and it's just dust. I mean his mom is there, you know moms are amazing. They're just they just uh, you know they're amazing. And all of his disciples are gone. And somebody may say, well that's the end of that. His head disciple Peter says, let's go fishing. This is done. That was great, but. And in Kenneth Wiest, it says, in the Kenneth Wiest translation, it says, okay, I'm done with this discipleship stuff. I'm done with this. And he leaves, and they go back, and he takes all the disciples with him. You know? But Jesus dies anyway. That's unconditional love, agape love. And that's the love that we want to learn how to love, love that passes knowledge. Agape love passes knowledge. And this is no way, we cannot love people this way. It's, it's impossible for you to love people in the flesh. Like, if you've ever tried to love someone that's the most difficult person on the planet, and it's so trying, you ever do that? You ever try to be a good Christian and love somebody? <laughs> then you realize maybe after 10 minutes or 10 years, you're like, God, I can't love this person. I just, uh, God says, that's right. I didn't send you to the cross to die for the world. Jesus did that. I'm just asking you to be filled with the love of God towards yourself. And when you get when you don't love people, don't condemn yourself. Say, I'm a bad Christian. Oh, I, I, you know, I should be a Christian. Everybody knows now I'm born again. And, and they, you know, they talk about my life. And, and I can't even love you know, this person. And we condemn ourselves. And then that really, that really helps, doesn't it? That reinforces the sin and it reinforces the guilt. And that's never the answer. 
We just got to get, we got to get in the love of God and say, you know what? I can't deal with this person right now. Okay, I don't love them, but I need to right now just get loved by God and build myself up in the love of God. And when we do that, that agape love fills us. The second Greek word is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. And this is a word we don't hear much about, but it's a love that, that, is, uh, that relates to parental love. It's a family love. It's that unit, the family unit where, you know, that is that it's stronger than, uh, it's stronger than the next word, which we're going to look at in a second, but it's a storge love. It's like, you know, hey, we're family, and we were over here for, uh, Don, for Mary's graduation, and we just saw Don's family getting together, and you could, you could see that, the storge love, you know, congratulations, Mary, and yes, we do, we, we do want to be praying for Mary and just our young people because um, they're making decisions. And, uh, and then the third Greek word is phileo or phila. That sounds familiar, which is where we, of course, get the name of our city, Philadelphia. Or we don't, I've been told many times this is not Philadelphia, this is Hatboro. So the city that's below us, right, south of us, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And every time I go to Baltimore, they say, how's Philadelphia going? How's the brotherly love in, how's the brotherly love in that city? <laughs> Not a lot of love, brotherly love going on down in that city. Just talk to the police. Phileo, which means really, this is really a common interest love. Common interest. Meaning that I like golf, he likes golf, so we go golfing. And that's really our relationship about golf. It doesn't really go beyond that. Uh, I like this work. Uh, he, she likes this work. And then we meet, you know. With this meetup group that we have, meetup.com, <clears throat> sometime we're going to have another meeting soon, I think. That's just all common interest. People come in here, they're really here to talk about what we're going to talk about in those meetings. It's common interest. It means that, you know what, it's like when you're in the store and you're both looking at the same, same product on the, on the shelves and you start talking about it and you know, yeah, that works for me. I like that cleaner. That really works good in my rug. And some say, well, that may really work with, with my clothes. And that's a, that's a, that's a common interest conversation. And that's not a really a spiritual relationship. And storge is beautiful, but that may not necessarily be, be, be spiritual. Agape is spiritual. And we want to take all of these loves and we want to take it to the next level. In my relationships with my family, I want to bring in the love that passes knowledge. A storge, you know, or phileo. You know, I, I like cycling. Some, I've gone with some cycling groups in the area here and, you know, we're cycling, and we're just talking about cycling. We're cycling, and, and I'm like, you know, and I just kind of stopped doing that now because that's all they talk about is cycling, and I, I share Christ with people, and, but it's like they're just there to talk about cycling and how fast they can go and how, how expensive their bike was and all of that, and that's phileo, and I, that, can be, that can be entertaining for a while, but it ends real quick, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It just it ends real quick, and then it gets to be about the guy who's got and who doesn't got, who's got the better clubs, who's got... And I don't golf. I don't think that they would let me on a golf course. I'd probably kill people the way I play. I, I can't. Golf and tennis, and I just cannot understand those games. I mean, does anybody play tennis here? I, I just, I get out there, and I'm like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like baseball. I'm striking out. You know, it's just very embarrassing, so I don't do that. Phileo. In the church, you know, we could, the church, we have to be careful that our love with, for each other does not, does not um, uh, digress or devaluate or 
uh, diminished to something that's storge or phileo. You know, when we're filled with the love of Christ and the love of God, then everything that we do in our family and then in our relationships, our common interest relationships, is spirit-filled. And, but sometimes storge falls apart, and sometimes phileo falls apart. Sometimes our family falls apart, and sometimes our, our, um, our friendships or our common interests, like someone says, you know what, I don't want to do that with you anymore because um, I got better equipment than you do. You know? And then that falls apart. But there's something that's bigger than that, that passes knowledge, and that is the love of Christ, where we're getting loved, and we're getting built up, and then we're, we're loving other people. And we say, you know, it's okay. You got better equipment than I do. That's fine. God loves me, and God loves you. And we're not on this level of comparison, you know. And then lastly is this fourth word, eros, which is where we get, the, where we get our English word erotic or eroticism. And it's a sexual love. And this is a physical love that takes place on the lower base emotions of a person or a people. And this is, this is really where we're at in our society. We have seen in society, uh, and the devil, this is what the devil does. You know, there is no Illuminati out there. There is no secret Masons. Maybe there are, but they're not as powerful as, you, as people say that they are. There are, no, um, there are no shadow governments, and maybe there are, but there are people that are on our TV sets that are, that are right in front of us that are making decisions. And I think that all this, sometimes this conspiracy stuff can really, can really be used by the devil to take people's mind off the fact that there are people in our government, in our, in our midst, that are making decisions that we really need to pray for and we need to, that we need to co- communicate with instead of just living in some kind of an abstract thing that there's a shadow government over here doing something. And, you know, there are people with a lot of money. There is the pharmaceutical world that is like really dry, has a lot of money, is really driving a lot of things that happen in, in our politics. But, this fourth word, eros, is something that the world, the devil's trying. What I'm trying to say about all that is that the devil's trying to pull down um, us from the heights of agape, down, down, down into something base and chemical, and just libido and all that. And this is just, this is not the definition of this is love, but it's it's a it's a it's not it's not everything. And um, I was watching the news the other day, and I think it was. Martin Luther King's niece or granddaughter, I don't remember her name, uh, she said that, she was just talking about, and I, lo- I, ho- I like how she put it, that it's, that um, love may include sex, but l- sex is not, does not, incomp- it does not encompass all love. Meaning that two people can love each other, but not have sex. And that can happen for physical reasons or whatever. And so, but what's happening today is, is that society has been brought down to this level of just low base emotional impulses, and this has been defined as the as the peak of great, you know, love. I mean, you know that 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 moment where you really know you're in love when when you're in in living in eros. But these four Greek words define love. Now, what's happening today in our society that um, 
Uh, are emotions a sufficient basis for love and marriage? And I'm getting to what I'm going to get to in a second here. Marriage is really a fundamental um, social institution that does not exist just for emotional satisfaction of two people, but really for the purpose of God's eternal purpose, that God puts people together in marriage. And, you know, we do, talk, we do um, believe that people should get married, that if they love each other, and that there is, you know, that there is, that they feel that God has a plan for them together for the advancement of the kingdom of God and for God's purpose, then, then, uh, then, then get counsel and get married. Because and what we hear people say today is like, so, well, I don't have the money. It's just I can't afford a wedding. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, it does not matter. We will do a wedding here for you and not charge you a dime. Actually, we will give you. You know, we'll help you. Because the institution of marriage is being so attacked today by the devil, the flesh, and the world. Because if the devil, and this is historically correct, if the marriage, the unit, if the, if the marital unit and the family unit can be weakened, then all of society, the fabric of society, can be, becomes weak. And there's no longer any power and, and there's no longer any strength. And, and our, my prayer, one of my prayers for our church is, is that, and God is doing it, that God brings in families. And this is really the plan of God for salvation. You know how the jailer got saved in his whole household? Um, I believe that maybe the whole household doesn't get saved all at once, but it's a process. And I think that we can pray. And don't get discouraged to pray for your, your family. Don't get discouraged because it, something's happening. It's just you don't see it yet. One day it's just going to happen. And it's going to be like, wow, it's going to happen. Like you're going to see, wow, that God began to work. And marriage is... Marriage is more than just emotional fulfillment. People define marriage on this eros level, this third type of love. And when people define marriage in this erotic or this eros um, sphere, then then we begin to have trouble like we have in our society in the last 50 years. Um, Hollywood has propagated the myth that when it comes to marriage, all you need is love, right? I mean, wasn't that what the Beatles sang back in the day? All you need is love? It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> you need really a lot more. You need a agape love. You need a cross. <laughs> a good old cross that will, that will just, that we take up every day that, is, that, that keeps that flesh buried that's been already mortified. Marriage is not based on emotion any more than any partnership in life is. Marriage, like any human activity, involves emotion, but is not constituted by the presence of any particular set of, merit, of emotions. So, I mean, if you're married for any period of time, you know that it's not always emotional. But there's something that's much stronger that keeps that marriage together, and that is agape. Okay? Um, I do not deny... And here's the situation. Here's what we're facing now, is that people are saying, well... Two men or two women love each other. They say they love each other. They have an emotional attraction. And that can happen. That happens. That may happen. But it doesn't constitute marriage. and doesn't constitute the, the, the redefining of what we see, what the Bible says about marriage. Just because there's emotions there, it does not mean that it's right emotion. And emotions can be so powerful that if a person is not grounded, rooted and grounded in the love of God, they're going to be... They're going to be blown around with every wind of doctrine that comes up, with every new fad. And so just because there's an emotional, deep, and powerful, does not 
justify doesn't justify that we act on it. Um, there is emotions that are powerful, but they can lead into addictions, and so we we um, we don't subscribe to redefining the the word love because there's emotion. And if you read Francis Schaeffer's uh, book, it's a little book on called The God Who Is There. It's a little philosophical, but it's very good. It talks about how the society has been through the ages slowly brought down from uh, the, the, the heights of the Reformation and the understanding who the individual is in grace and how that impacted all of our culture down to this very low, low level of where people are not even communicating anymore. They just grunt and they're just living in impulses. And so what has happened now is, is that there are, there are these influences really to destroy society that are promoting, um, you know, before, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, it was, you know, if two people, man and woman, loved each other, they didn't have to get married. They just move in with each other and just have a family. And that happened a lot in communist Europe because... Uh, churches didn't exist, and so people would just go and live together and just get registered that they lived together, and then they would start having kids, and and it would be a biological family, but it would not be a family that had a church wedding. And so this is what's happening today, is that people have emotions towards each other because of just the depths of, 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 of they, they've just fallen so deep in their soul need you know, that when, when a society departs from the Bible and from prayer, you can see it in 1962, the, 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 downward, the downward direction of, the, of, of society and its values, and, its, and you can see the upward climb of, 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 of crime. And, you know, where is all the crime happening? In our schools. I mean, children, teenagers, preteens are shooting their parents. They're shooting each other in schools. They're taking drugs. They're getting pregnant. Why is that? Because the farther we drift from God and the Word of God is a base, the more, um, the more decrepit our soul becomes. And we begin to wonder, am I, you know, uh, who am I and what is my identity? And am I a man or a woman? I, I heard this, Pastor Schaller told this very funny story. I just have to repeat it. When he was, um, he was a he was, in, he was a younger man, he was in Boston, they were doing some outreach there, and he had to really use the restroom. So he was walking around and found a very tall, tall building, and um, he just figured there must be a restroom in there. So he goes in there, and he's looking around, and he gets in the elevator, goes like to the top floor, and he's walking around, and he finds a, finds a restroom, and it says, it says men, you know? So, I mean, he's like rushing in there. He rushes in there, and he's, in, he's using the bathroom. And, and uh, as he's in the bathroom, he hears this door open, and he hears like, Footsteps, but it sounds like doesn't sound like men's footsteps. And uh, he looks down. I mean, he's sitting and he's there in the stall. And he looks down and he sees these high he sees high heels. <laughs> so he's wondering, like he goes, "Oh my gosh, you know what is happening here?" So he get he, he he leaves the he leaves the bathroom, and he sees on the sign that he missed this. He said it, it said "women" instead of "men." And he said he was wondering, like he wondered if the police were going to come, if he was going to get into trouble. And he didn't understand. He was like, God, why did you allow that to happen? What happened there? What was that all about? And then he said to us, you know, during the week, he said, he said, now next time uh, that something like that, could, that, that happens, somebody could just say, I was confused. I was gender confused. 
And like, this is where this world is at right now, that people are, con- you know, they are, and you know this because you guys are reading the news, you're in touch with what's going on, that kids now can go for gender counseling, right? Saw that in Starbucks the other day on the, on the bulletin board, you know? Gender confusion or gender identity confusion. You can go get counsel on that. What is that? What is that? You know what it is? It's just this, that that little child does not have the, the basic understanding of true love, and that's unconditional love from God. They don't understand who mom is and who dad is. And we just wait till all this starts happening. It just waits, and the confusion that we're going to start seeing in society. So, how did Jesus define marriage? And I'm going to wrap this up in a couple minutes. Jesus defined, and if you're taking notes, I just want you to write these things down. Number one, how did he define marriage? Jesus defined marriage, Jesus himself, in two verses, Matthew 19, verse 4. So when someone says to you, what does your church believe about same-sex marriage? And, you know, when we were down in the convention we had a meeting with the pastors and we had met we met quite a bit one of the meetings was really about now as a church we have to put on our statement of faith something about this subject because and our bylaws as a church because if someone comes through those doors and wants a same-sex marriage and so we we say no uh if it's not in our bylaws and if it's not in our it's not in our statement of faith then then they can actually press charges and sue but if it's already stated in our organization that this is prohibitive action and this is something that we basically that we do not believe in and here are the reasons then we could actually be and that's how chick-fil-a by the way won that case against them um remember when uh big institutions were forced to uh have their employees pay for their employees um uh, birth control, or or not birth control, but uh, abortion, and they won that case because it was part of their part of their bylaws as an organization that this was something that we don't they they had it clearly in our and we're going to have to do the same thing. But Jesus answered and said to them in Matthew nineteen verse four, "Have you not read that he who made men? Uh, I'm sorry. Have you not read that he who made them?" At the beginning, made them male and female. Why, you know, Jesus knew all this was going to come, and so he's got this in the Bible already. And it's like Jesus defines male and female that there's a difference, Adam and Eve. And we, you know, it wasn't Adam and it wasn't Adam and Steve in the garden. It was Adam and Eve. If God felt that that would be that this was part of the natural the natural way that things should be in the world, then he would have had same-sex marriages or relationships in the garden, but he didn't. And this is what we see in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. There are churches, now watch this, there are churches today, big churches, and you're not, don't be surprised if there's a church that you think is amazing, and they come out and say, you know what, we tolerate that stuff, and we're going to do it. Don't be surprised because it's coming. Because if you're really, really big, and you're really, inv- you're really vested financially in your building and your operation, and, and you come out and take a stand against this stuff. Like Joel Osteen won't make, to, he won't take a stand on this. He was asked recently, he wasn't, I don't know if it was recent, but he was asked, and I saw the interview on TV, he was asked what he feels about this. And he just kind of, you know, and just, just kind of gracefully dodged with that big smile he's got. I want to learn how to smile like, like him. <laughs> it's amazing teeth. He's got a great smile, isn't he? 
I'm not, I'm not like knocking him, you know, praise the Lord that he is to do that. But, but like big, you know, if his organization or big organizations like him really answer the big, the tough question, they're going to lose members and they're going to, you know, the people are going to come after you and the, co- the government's going to come out. I think in the next 10 years, and I said this to someone recently, and I know I'm talking long, but I think there's going to be an explosion of the small church movement because I don't see how mega churches can, you know, how big corporations can, like Hobby Lobby, how they can continue to do what they're doing from a Christian standpoint. And so, and then the second verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Jesus defines, God defines marriage right at the beginning of the Bible. Why? Because this is the most important, this is such a, 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 important aspect of society that Adam and Eve were married and that God put them together and they had children. This is like chapter, this is like what, chapter two of the Bible. Marriage between man and woman. This is a very important subject with God because if it's not, then society unravels. Imagine Manhattan Island, right? What if, what if there's no more heterosexual marriages? What happens to the population? It just decreases, doesn't it? So, anyway, um, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but someone may say, well, you Christians are haters. You guys hate. I mean, we had, um, we had last year at our pig roast, we had, uh, we had uh, uh, two people that were homosexuals came on the property and they were, they had a child, and they asked me, like, do you, do you guys love everybody? And I didn't get it at first, and then I understood what was going on, and I said, yes, God really loves everybody. And they said, you know, and, they, and she explained to me what, and what her family was about, and I said, um, I said, you know, the Bible talks about the structure of family. I said, I said, we're not haters. We don't hate you. And I think the church is the place... The church is the place where, where people are going to find the most love. Um, but the Bible does talk about it. And we should not be afraid to tell people, you know, this is what the Bible says about homosexuality. And you're going to feel the pressure sometimes. Like, remember that message we talked about how Lot was pinned against the church door by the, all the people of the city? That's going to probably happen in Christianity in the future. We're going to find ourselves pinned against our church door with society pressing on us demanding from us that we would go, that we'd take their... But what does the Bible say about it? Well, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. It's an abomination. It's an abomination. And that's what the Bible says. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, same thing. Um, it says that they, if that happens, they have both committed a detestable act. They shall, be per, they shall surely be put to death. Wow, isn't that a hard way to deal with it? I mean, capital punishment for that. And the reason why is, is that God is developing here in the early chapter, in the early history of Israel, he wanted to have in Israel's constitution the clear understanding of marriage because how destructive this same sex is to the family unit and to society. You know, the Roman Empire was a for how many years, how many centuries were they a world, a world, I mean, 600, how many, I don't remember how many, 
But you know what they began to do? They began to allow in their armies this whole thing with homosexuality. And what happened? You can, you can track their, the weakness of their army. Began, they, began to de, they began to become weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's when all of these vandals and pagans and, and um, crazy tribes began to come. The barbaric tri- tribes began to come down and invade um, the Roman Empire. So Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27 also talks about this. And I just read this to you in the New King James. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing that which is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. That's happening today, receiving within them the penalty. You know what that means? Um, doctors say that the level of sexual STDs that are happening in the uh, gay and lesbian circles is, is skyrocketed. That it is just, it is, it is uh, because it's not natural. And it is, they are receiving in their bodies, which is what verse says, the penalty or the, the, the consequent of what is due. And it, and it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then there's a list here. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. And then it says, nor, nor homosexuals. And so we can't say in our church that homosexuals that live in homo, open homosexuality are going to heaven. Because this is what the Bible says. I, I'm not making this up. Greater grace is not making up. It's just this is what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say about people that are struggling with this? Well, um, I mean, we could talk about this whole time, you know, that, that um, interesting t- statistics that now, um, you know, wait till same-sex marriages begin to happen and the government begins to give them rights. They are already, and maybe you've heard about this, that there are already now violent crimes that are happening between partners. That because of, the, because of this unbelievable passion and, and like whatever it is, is has be, has become the, the the violent crimes among these circles have have has skyrocketed, um, murders and just uh, only five percent. This is what I read here this morning. Five percent of gays have ever had a relationship that lasted more than three years. It's just not natural. So, what does God think? What does God want to do with these with with the with with these people? Um, I think that the church today is a little caught off guard and uh, the LGBT community, they, they don't know how to handle it. And they just say, oh, you know, like, and they just um, push them away. And that we can't do that. I mean, we can't, you know, many of us know somebody that knows somebody or maybe we know someone who is gay. Well, how do we relate to them? We got to understand. We got to understand that love passes knowledge. That love, God loves that person. And we got to communicate to that person God's love for them because they're really seeking and they're very desperate for the love of God and that family that came on our property last year they said we believe in a God of love and when she said that to me it struck me and I've mentioned this before that these people are really looking for God's love and they just don't know it and I began to explain to her about the love of God and I didn't see her again because you know these people are also struggling with their conscience you know when you're doing something that's not natural and your, your conscience is telling you that. And it's just telling you that. And they are living under a lot of guilt. And, and 
remember when Lot, uh, these men said to Lot, the men of the city said, who is this man Lot that judges us? Was, was, was Lot judging them? We don't see that happening. It's just that in their minds they think, because their conscience and then the, also God is speaking to them, they think it's coming from us, but it's not. We're not haters. And so what is, I, I know people that have been in this lifestyle and they got saved. And they become amazing Christians. And they got married and they have kids and they're just so fruitful in their life. Um, there is no gay gene. I mean, genetics, geneticists who know their stuff will tell you that does not exist. The guy who actually said it, I think his name was Haman or something, the guy originally who said that came out and said, I discovered the gay gene. Uh, he, was, he was investigated by a, lot of, by a bunch of scholars who know the subject, found that he was wrong, and he was stripped of his credentials. It was, uh, and this was a few years ago. He was this big thing, you know, like there's a gay gene. But they never said that he was investigated and that his, that his research was found faulty. So well, how do we pray for them and how do we... First of, all, first of all, like all sin, whatever it is, it's not bigger than God. And it's not bigger than the cross. And it's not bigger than what God can do. And we understand in Galatians chapter 6 that we're no better than anybody else. We pray... We want to direct them in the, in the direction of God's love and understanding that, you know, they're not going to find what they're looking for um, in their confused state. They're not going to find them what they're looking for by changing the, their gender or crossing gender lines or whatever that, whatever they, that, that happens. They're going to find it in the God who created them. God had created them and he, God can only, the God, only they can understand the love that they're looking for in the love of God. And what needs to happen is, is that I think, first of all, um, you know, um, don't be surprised. We're going to see it more and more, but don't be astounded. But just understand, like, with all, with all sin and error, that we have a gospel that's effective, and it's a gospel of grace. Because that world of gay and lesbian, it's, it's just such bondage, it's just such, it's unbelievable, it's such torture, and, and they, are look, they, they are looking for love that will set them free, and I'm going to close with this, that true love, God's love, always sets people free. Love is not controlling, God does not control people, God doesn't control us. Uh, love allows people to make decisions and take risks, and love trusts God, even though if I can't trust somebody, and I Maybe, you know, we're in a place where we are just seeing people that we love making decisions or are going to have to make decisions. And, um, and a pastor has to do that all the time. And he can't control people. We just have to understand people. You know, I love you. I want you to know that I love you. And really build, build that into the relationship, the love of God. And, and pray. Because, you know, we can say I love you. But if we're not praying for somebody... It's just not powerful. But when we pray, and we maybe sometimes fast, and we begin to seek God, begin to invest the love of God in that person, they're going to feel that trust. And when they venture off, off, you know, and they're getting close to that, the edge of the precipice, and we're like wondering, are they going to go over or what? Um, if we love them, and we pray for them, and we say, maybe we say what we say to them, but if we try to control them, that's going to just... That's not the love of God. Love of God is something that 
Isn't that amazing that God created us and He loved us so much and that He, that he, that he allows us... I mean, that this is not the will of God, but that sin, but He lets us... He lets people sin. He, I mean, if you sin... It's amazing how, like, you sin and then you're like, where's the hand of... Like, you know, where's lightning? Where's the, you know, where's the thunder? It's like, it's like God's love puts us in a place where He trusts Christ for us. And if we live in sin, then there's going to be consequences, and the Holy Spirit's going to, it's going to kind of redirect us. But it's like God is not a controlling God, and that's that. And you find in these relationships in these communities a lot of control, lots of control, and then they're not free in the love of God. And so, the love of God sets us free because it passes knowledge. It doesn't live in the information about what's happened, what's going to happen next in our nation. Well. I was talking with some of you just, just before the service. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think what's going to happen is this, is that, um, well, that sin is self-destructive. And Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says that the wrath, the wrath of God is upon sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And I think that we really got to pray for our country because... Um, I don't know, every time we pass some crazy law, you get some really crazy weather that happens around Washington, or earthquakes and, you know, hurricanes. And um, with this ruling, the Supreme Court is essentially saying, you know, individuals have civil rights based on their behavior, sexual behavior. And I don't know what's happened to our nation I don't know if it's because churches are not doing their job. We're not out there, you know, being light, light to the nations. And pre- I, I, you know, we now have five people that are usurping the usurping the the job of the Congress, and they are making decisions, regardless of what the what the United you know, the American people say. Maybe I I will get in trouble for saying this, but um, that's not the way our government was set up. Um, the Supreme Court is not a branch of the government. And uh, we have, a, you know, pray for your Congress because we have a Congress right now that's just, I don't know where they're, what, what are they thinking? What is going on? You know, this, this, what is bigger than this whole thing is this other thing called the TPP. Uh, it's the trades. Uh, this, uh, this, is, this basically is, uh, maybe this, this is recording, maybe I'm not going to put this message on the Internet, but... Um, this trade agreement means that uh, foreign countries can come in and prosecute people, um, you know, without using the, con- the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Constitution, and um, I mean, we really are in very interesting times. But you know what's amazing is that when times are tough, God begins to move, and I think we're going to see revivals happening. And we can conservatives and all these guys can talk about moan and bemoan what's going on, but you know what? God is moving. We're seeing churches, we're seeing God move in churches. We're seeing many people get saved. We're seeing in the Muslim world, many, many, many people getting saved. We're seeing new churches in America being started. There is a great move of God. and um, But be praying. And, you know, let's not be afraid to share with people what the Bible says because people want that. And I, I'm just going to finish with this. People want to hear what the Bible says. Do you know when this ruling passed you know the next within within one hour 
the next few hours, the next couple of days, there was a rush of searches on Google about what does the Bible say about same-sex marriage. It was just an explosion of Google searches. So really be praying. We could actually be facing persecution. Maybe we'll be called haters. Maybe just the fact that you're called a Christian could actually become something that really begins now to cost us something. So be in prayer for your government and um, be, be in prayer for our society. Um, do you mind if I just read one more thing before we close? All right. This is the Christian Post said this. What happens if local churches do not embrace same-sex marriage? They may find their legal status shaky or non-existent, as well as parachurch groups, conservative Christian colleges, church-based humanitarian agencies, and all other religious institutions, Christian and otherwise, supporting the traditional view of marriage. Without state-recognized corporate status, everything from mortgages and building permits to employment and hiring practices is threatened all of them essential for institutional function. Uh, This one journalist by the name of Ben Shapiro notes that there is already a movement on the state level to to revoke non-profit statuses for religious organizations that do not abide by same-sex marriage. Did you hear that? There's already this movement. This one journalist is saying this. Supreme Court's decision to make churches refusing to comply private institutes engaging in commerce. This is what they're going to call a church. If we don't, I mean, this is what could happen in the future, that we may be no longer what is called a church, but a private institution engaging in commerce or in selling something, and therefore subject to laws already in place. Refusal to perform same-sex weddings would put a church out of business. I don't know about ours, but it could put some churches out of business. Current trends seem to flow against conservative religious institutions. All the elites that set and propagate cultural consensus are aligned in support of same-sex marriage. The entertainment establishment, the information establishment, academic establishment, and political establishment. So we are facing an interesting future, right? Fear not, Jesus said, don't fear. These are the beginning of the woes. These things must come to pass, Jesus said, but fear not. Fear not. God's with us, and we're going to really see God move in these, these latter days. Amen? So that was a little bit of a longer message, but I just felt like I wanted to cover some of these things, because I, I know some of you asked me about it and uh, wanted to cover that. So, Okay, so let's just close in prayer.